turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Hello and welcome to the Situation Report today. This is the show where we do our very best to give you the information and perspectives you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. My name is Jeremy Stoniker. I am your host today and I am very excited today to be able to bring to you an interview with a good friend of mine. I've been blessed in my life with uh, with some good friends and um, particularly through the work that I have the opportunity to participate in with the Mighty Oaks Foundation. We work with veterans and active duty service members and first responders. And because of that, I've gotten to know a lot of wonderful people and I get to work with a lot of wonderful people. Today, I am going to share an interview with you, with one of those people. John Davis uh, has been working for the Mighty Oaks Foundation for uh, several years. We've been friends for quite a while and uh, his story is amazing. Served in the United States military, served as a police officer, and has recently written a book that not only tells his story, and it is an incredible story, and uh, it's been used by God to help many folks, particularly in the first responder community. The book tells his story, but it also is a book that provides a story <laughs> that gives hope. So it's not just about his life. It is about how to move forward when other people who are reading the book have struggled in their own lives. And I'm very grateful that he is uh, getting this story out there. It's powerful. It really is a testimony to the grace of God, to the ability we have to move beyond uh, even bad decisions in our past or the decisions of others that impacted us in our past. And uh, you're going to hear some of that today, but I would encourage you to not only listen to this interview, but then go and find the book. This is my interview with John Davis as we talk about his book, Man on the Roof. John, thanks for coming on. Oh, great to be here. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's uh, it's kind of funny to to interview. We've been friends for a long time, uh, but we're in two different states right now, so uh, this is the only way we can have this conversation. But uh, man, I appreciate it. Um, your story is is incredible. Um, you're someone that I've looked up to for a long time and have respected for a long time, and there are a lot of reasons for that, personal reasons and others, but. Uh, one of those is is your story and just where you came from. And uh, you have recently written a book telling that story. And because I know you, I know you did that so that you could help other people who are struggling with their own story yeah. and trying to get through some difficult things. Um, and that's what we want to talk about today is is the book. So talk a little bit about what motivated you to not only tell your story, but to write it down and try to get it out there in book form. Um, you've been telling your testimony and telling your story for a long time. And it's been very, very helpful to a lot of people. Uh, what caused you to take the next step, which is I'm going to put it down, I'm going to write it, I'm going to struggle through that and get it out to whoever will buy and read a book in this day and age where people don't read anymore? Well, it, it's a pretty <laughs> easy answer. Um, when I got out here to Texas last February, um, I think it was like within the first month I was over at Chad's house. I looked yeah, at me sure. and he goes, uh, John, you need to write a book. So I said, <laughs> so I thought yeah. about it for years, for sure. And I think over the years, yeah. and, and I, 
heard all these stories, being at Mighty Oaks, hearing it, you know, we all live and we think, oh man, I, I lived a cool life, right? I did this, I did this. But then the longer I was in Mighty Oaks and the, the more stories I heard and the more testimonies about what people have done, I mean, it, it, it honestly really humbled me. You know, I thought about writing a book for, for again, for years. Um, yeah. But then after hearing guys' stories, I'm just like, man, it, it, it's pretty amazing the things that people have been through. It's given me perspective on my own life too. So I, I kind of put it on the back burner as far as writing a book. And then when Chad said it, I really took it to heart and I, and I thought about it. Yeah. And then I started thinking about the aspect of, yeah, I've shared my story so many times and it's not the things I've done, but really, really what Christ has done in my life and how he's picked me up from where I was to where I am today, which is living a life of peace, not perfect <laughs> and having joy yeah. and having purpose. And I know my story has affected other men that I've served at the Mighty Oaks programs and I've seen it help them and them not feel alone and not feel isolated and be able to move forward. So which has encouragement and, and that fact and, and seeing it, um, I dove right in. Your, your story is very helpful just on a, a personal level, just kind of your personal journey and talking about, you know, even your childhood and then getting into law enforcement and some of your relationship struggles and maybe hitting the low moments and then God kind of bringing you back around, right? And yes. and it's an amazing story, but it is also a story that is very much focused on law enforcement and the challenges of law enforcement, which I think is especially important right now. I don't know that we've ever lived, maybe we have, I, I don't know, not in my memory, lived at a point in time where the public assault <laughs> on law enforcement was as much as it is. And I know there have been other times in history where the general population didn't have a high view of the police or whatever, but it seems to be almost in vogue to um, not like police officers. In my community, we have a great community here in Murrieta, uh, which you live here as well, um, loves the police. That's not a problem we have, but in a lot of other communities it is. You're in Texas. I know there's a different respect for law enforcement in Texas, but I think police officers generally across the country can feel very isolated and very alone. Um, can you talk about that for a little while? Because I, I think that that is, I don't, I don't know that we always get a hold of that. It, you know, a lot of people don't know our story, but we've known each other for a long time. And my son is going through the police academy right now. And uh, a big influence on him has been you. And a big piece has come to me to know people like you who can speak into his life. But not everyone has that. Um, maybe you can talk about that for a minute because that, that connection is so important. Yeah, I, I definitely can. I mean, think back to my time in law enforcement and of course the people I was, uh, taking the jail weren't happy about me being there. <laughs> sure. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but, but as far as the media and, and the general population, there's a lot of support. Um, so over the years, especially these last couple of years with the assault on police officers, um, specifically in the media and, and how they're talked about and how the things are highlighted when they make mistakes, uh, opposed to what they're doing right. I, I don't, I can't imagine being a police officer in these times. And that's something I've seen a lot um, the last couple of years at the Mighty Oaks programs with our first responders is just that aspect of it and how much it hurts these guys um, hearing this and, and this narrative about police officers and, and who they are um, has been cast upon like the nation. People just listen to it and that's truth. You know, because the media says it and uh, it's on the Internet, so yeah. it's got to be right. Um, so those guys living today and doing the job and they're still out there every day, risking their lives, just like I did. Um, 
no matter what those people say about them, if, the, if they get a call, they're going to go there and they're going to put their life on the line. And at the same time, those same people are are against them, and defund the police, and we're the bad guys. Yeah, I yeah. can't imagine like working and and experience what these guys are experiencing right now. What impact, and, and this is something, you know, we, again, I don't think we always understand this, but in speaking to people in the public, in the community, if you were to explain to them the impact of their perception and their support or lack of it for law enforcement and the impact that has on the police officers, how would you talk about that with them? People who just, who just don't get it. They don't understand the impact that their opinion has on the men and women who serve. Well, I think, and I just thought about this, maybe the comparison would be like the, the Vietnam era soldiers who came back from there yeah. and they were spit on and, and treated the way they were yeah. after Vietnam, opposed to the current wars, especially like Desert Storm, where we were there for like a week <laughs> or two. <laughs> we came back and we're right. like these heroes and there's parades. And yeah. that felt great. I mean, honestly, I got off the plane and, you know, people are out there and they're shouting and doing, you know, waving the flag. That was an amazing yeah. feeling. Yeah. Opposed yeah. to those guys in Vietnam. And I mean, we, you know, we did the same thing. You know, we went to combat, risked our lives, and we came back with much different greetings. And that's what those police officers today are are under. So, man, it's hard to it's hard to put myself in their shoes, but I, I do feel it. You know, when I watch, I, I actually try not to watch the dudes too much. Yeah. I start getting angry just hearing these things yeah. that aren't true. Yeah. Um, you know, I even had a and this is a, an example. I had a friend. Actually, a couple, they, they, they went to church with us and the wife told Quinny, she looked at Quinny, she's like, Quinny, like, why do police officers kill black people? And I'm yeah. like, unbelievable. Yeah. Like, do you understand what you just yeah. said? You know, it's, yeah. it's so far from the truth of what police officers are and, the, and their actions every day and the amount of restraint they use and the amount of service they do and the things they do for the community that nobody sees. You know, we don't go out there telling everybody, hey, man, we helped this family or we helped this kid or we helped this abused mom. And, you know, on Christmas they had no presents, so we showed up. I mean, there's countless, yeah. countless stories yeah. of helping the community um, that's not put out there. Your, your story, you know, starts as probably one of those kids who needed help from the community. You found a lot of help from coaches and others in sports and uh, people in the community who, who poured into you and then gave you an opportunity to, to move forward a little bit. Um, maybe tell some of your story. I'm sure this is in, in the book, but uh, tell some of your story. It's, it's, again, it's so helpful just to hear it. Yeah. Like, like you mentioned, my, my childhood was rough. It was a very dysfunctional home I grew up in and it was pretty violent, you know, and I was on a violent path, pretty young age. And, and as you mentioned, finding sports, finding coaches, you know, I grew up without a father, so I didn't really have a father figure in my life. But when I when I joined these sports teams and specifically football, and I, I got these these men I could actually look up to, and, and it literally gave me purpose, and it gave me a direction, and it gave me a reason for not <laughs> not yeah. getting in trouble. Right, right, doing right, homework, right. Going going to school, and it just gave me a family and a and a brotherhood that was just critical for me at, at a young age, and it really drove me. and And my drive as a as a kid literally came from that and wanting to make it because you know. And, and and I go into this pretty deep in the book about 
going over to friends' houses that had a normal family, had a happy family. And I saw that and I just wanted that. It was just something I never experienced. So sports to me was just not something I enjoyed doing and to get out my aggression, but it was my way out. And I knew if I could yeah. make it, I equated that, you know, success in sports with a happy family. And from a very early age, that's what drove me. And people wonder why I'm so driven. So <laughs> Um, yeah. But it, it's rooted in that in, in my childhood. And thankfully, and, and thank God that, that I had a, a positive direction to go in, in instead of the direction I was I was headed. And that really kept me out of a lot of trouble. Um, stopped yeah. me from doing some things that, that, that a crazy young kid <laughs> does, especially sure. in the neighborhood I grew up in and the friends I had. Um, but it kept, kept me on track for the most part uh, gr growing up. And I continued that, you know, through high school until I joined the military. And then I had my new brotherhood, my new family. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it's funny because people that know you know that you're, you're a coach at heart. Um, it, I mean, I think if, if I had to use one word to define you, that would be the word is coach. You're always bringing people along and teaching and trying to make people better. And, and, uh, I, I think all that goes back to, to where you found identity and purpose. Oh, absolutely. Like coaching and people ask me that, well, why do you coach? And it's so easy for me to say, because, you know, when I was young, I was pretty good in football. <laughs> I was a decent athlete, but I was pretty crazy. So that makes a pretty good football player. And, and right. the coaches, and, the, and like you said, them pouring into me um, changed my life. And I always wanted to give back. From the time I was a little kid, like I knew when I was done, I was going to give back. You know, and I've coached numerous things from football to track um, as a strength coach for a number of years in high school, and now it's jujitsu. Um, but that's my opportunity. And, and literally, those things are just vehicles where I get to sit down with people and talk to them and, and just encourage them and share Christ. If, if, if the situation um, opens up to that and uh, it's pretty amazing being out here in Texas, man, I have a couple of my friends I coach yeah. youth football with that are training with me now. And I've just had some opportunities to sit down there and talk about my life and just talk to them about what, what God's done in my life and, and the purpose yeah. I have. And um, man, it's nothing's more rewarding to me than, than being able to give back and just kind of share the past and, um, that's something uh, I heard that phrase in Mighty Oaks um, that that I love that that we can never change the past, you know. But when we serve and we help other people, we, we give it meaning and we never forget yeah. the past. But yeah. it, it changes that past from things that keep you down, things yeah. that would stress me out, and just you know you feel guilt and about to motivation like fire. Like I look back in my past to, today, and I always do this. I don't forget the past. You know, because number one, it keeps me humble. If I think I'm something, I just look back in the past and I'm like, no, <laughs> you have nothing to be prideful about. Right. It's humility. But it also gives me fire and drive to, to move forward in, in everything I'm doing, um, pushing forward, looking back at the past and then being able to take that and use that with whether it's adults or I got some six year olds, you know, my little Joey. Well, he's seven. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's seven. Yeah. Seven and crazy. Just talking. <laughs> I had a, uh, about three or four six year olds and then Joey talking to them yesterday about life. And man, I'm just, I feel so yeah. blessed to be able to do that. Yeah. And, and, and as you said, it all stemmed from what I was given. And that's definitely a ministry for me that, that I'll do to the, to the rest of my life, whatever that looks like. How do we shift our perspective from seeing our past as something to regret and to feel bad about and, and uh, you know, to become depressed over, lost opportunity? How do we shift our perspective from that to, to seeing it as something that can be used to help other people? Man, that, that um, I don't want to say it's easy, 
but it, it's it's like I just said, looking back at it, learning from it. I mean, that's where experience comes from. Experience, as we know, sucks. <laughs> I got a lot of experience. Yeah. A lot of us, <laughs> and a lot of, and, and it literally did. It, it would it would overwhelm me at times. Um, even even when I first started Mighty Oaks, you know, I think back to my past and dealing with it so much. And you just get that. I would get this this overwhelming feeling, and uh, I guess you could call it anxiety or guilt, or just like, yeah. man, what yeah. what I could do if I could just change the past. And I always think about that mm. too, like with with my older boys, especially, like what I would do. I would give my life in a second if I could change the past and prevent all the hurt that I caused them. But I, I know I can't, and and that's a fact. Well, what can I do today? You know, I I can still move forward, and yeah. you know, a big thing that I have and 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 I always say this and I always think about this is I lost my boys looking up to me that that look they have when they're young you know like that's my hero that's my dad well I lost that and rightfully so I want them to look at me with those same eyes I want them to be proud of me mm-hmm. yeah so that's a huge drive for me every day it is I used to I don't know if you remember but um I used to my oldest son, John Michael, he played at Boise State, and I used to hold yep. his jersey over my desk. And people, you know, people yep. do that because, yep. remember. yeah, remember that. And people used to think, yeah. you know, you, you know, you're you're proud of your son, which I was, but that that's not why I had it up there because I used to look up there and just remember I failed him during those times, you know, and that mm-hmm. drove me. Like when I was sitting in the office, I'd look up there and be like, "This is why I'm doing this right now. I'm going to use yeah. those mistakes to help help other men." So. I guess more to the answer to your question, like how do we take that stuff from the past and use it today, right? Just use it for motivation, for drive to go forward. And again, every time I get to share my story and it helps another man kind of change that course um, from one of the same course that I was on or similar, yeah. or, uh, you know, losing their family and just hurt and anger and pain and shifts it a little bit and gives them some hope. And it's given it again, it's given a meaning and and it's never going to change the past. You know, the past will never go away. And I never want to forget the past, yeah. you know, but again, today, and it's taken some time for sure, Jeremy, to get to the point where it doesn't like grip me, where I feel like it's hard to move forward. But mm-hmm. that past keeps on pushing me, keeps on pushing me, you know, yeah. and, and again, it, it keeps me humble, man, you know, yeah. to, to realize, man, this is where I was. And, and, and I don't. You know what they call that uh, self-loathe or, you know, false qualification. I'm not doing that at all. But the truth is I made a lot of mistakes, you know, and I've moved past that. But I'm not going to forget that because, again, it pushes me to help other people and and hopefully change their course, especially when I come across men that have like young boys, man. Like sometimes I'm like, I want to choke you, man. Listen to what I'm saying. (laughs) Don't want to go through what I went through because it's not about us, but the people around you that you hurt. You know, and you alter their lives because of your action and you cause such pain in other people that, you know, if you, you would ask me back when I was a young police officer, you know, what's most important? God is my wife and my family. I had the answers down, you know, but my life and my actions did not reflect that. Man, if I could go back, but I can't. But I can sit here today and I could talk to you and I could say, man, your life needs to reflect that. You know, you got to understand that you make these decisions. Let me give you an example. This is the decisions I made. This is the path I walked. Yep. which wasn't aligned yep. in my life with God. And this is where I ended up. And it wasn't about me. Again, it was about the people around me, as many people as I hurt. Just when you thought it couldn't get any better, Mike Lindell with MyPillow is launching the MyPillow 2.0. When Mike invented MyPillow, it had everything you could ever want in a pillow. 
Now, nearly 20 years later, he discovered a new technology that makes it even better. The MyPillow 2.0 has the patented adjustable fill of the original MyPillow and now with a brand new fabric that is made with a temperature regulating thread. The MyPillow 2.0 is the softest, smoothest, and coolest pillow you'll ever own. For our exclusive listeners, the MyPillow 2.0 is buy one, get one free offer with promo code SITREP. MyPillow 2.0 temperature regulating technology is 100% made in the USA and comes with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. Just go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio listener square to buy the one, get one free offer. Enter promo code SITREP or call 800-870-0283 to get your MyPillow 2.0 now. I've heard you talk before about when you became a police officer. You were in the military. Um, you were in Panama. You were in Desert Storm. Uh, left the military, became a police officer. That really, you were very involved in church, and you were very focused on, I'm going to be a police officer. I'm going to serve the community. I'm going to love my family. Um, I'm going to live for God. And then a change happened. As you talk to people, particularly in law enforcement, in that in that environment that is is so dark so much of the time and, and difficult and mm-hmm. you spend so much time away from home and all, all of the issues that, you know, those in law enforcement deal with. Um, what are some of the, the decisions that you made along the way that, that took you away from what you said was important? You said, God is important. My family's important. Uh, focus is important. What were some of the decisions you made that took you down a path that you'd later have to recover from? Well, they're very similar to like what we what we call the four pillars at Mighty Oaks or the four Bs, yeah. right? Being in the Lord, yeah. being in prayer, being in fellowship at church, and then and then being in contact with a cornerman or a brother. Yeah, yep. So I absolutely failed in all four of those um, when I be, was a police officer. When I started, as you mentioned, I was walking with God. I was actually teaching a Bible study. The city I worked in was right next to the city I grew up in, and yeah. man, it, it was actually growing. It was, it was pretty big. There's like all my old friends, I think all my friends heard like, oh, that crazy guy that was in the military, that was a yeah, class, yeah. Bible study, like what's this? Bible study, yeah, yeah. What, what's this all about? But, but I loved doing that and I enjoyed it. And some of my friends got saved and, and it was, it was just amazing. And some of the people there were like, Hey, Johnny, you're going to be a pastor. I'm like, no, I'm not going to be a pastor. You know, yeah. I love Jesus and I'm going to share about, them. you know, <laughs> right. I'm going to throw down right. at work. Right. Um, so that was the initial stages of it. And I, and I was in church, I was reading the Bible um, and I was, you know, still like, work thrown down with my guys, you know, I work, yeah. you know, I wasn't, you know, a Bible thumper, like slamming my partners, but if the situation sure, arose, sure. I definitely shared. I mean, I'd get in a fight with a, a client, you know, a suspect. <laughs> hey, if, it, if it opened up, I'd, I'd talk to him about it. That's yeah. where I was at the beginning. And, and what happened, I think it was just kind of what happens to all police officers. You know, it's like that daily grind, the daily seeing, that carnage of this world, you know, from homicides to domestic abuse to horrific accidents from kids being get killed. And as you're seeing this stuff, because we're men and it's not supposed to bother us and it's not supposed to affect us. We just kind of look at it and we just push it down and we just move on. You know, I talk about one story um, when a brother shot his brother with a 30, 30, you know, blew his brains all over. It was just a horrific scene. Um, and I remember coming out of that scene and all of us just looked at each other and we, we all 
probably were feeling the same thing. And it wasn't just the murder. It was just like the families and the screams. You're like, you'll never forget the screams of calls like that. It was a huge family and it was just an insane call. But we just looked at each other and none of us said anything. We just got in our cars and we went to the yeah. next call. And you do that yeah. daily, you know, and you can't be yeah. overly emotional because you got to do your job. Um, but you, you take those things and you push them down and you keep pushing them down and you see something and you push it down. And then you, then at the same time, you start getting a little resentment, you know, and that starts building up and then you get bitter yep. and then you get yep. angry. And then, you know, at the same time when this was happening to me and seeing all this, you know, my relationship with my wife was struggling. It, it wasn't great, but it was getting worse and I wasn't making that a priority, even though, you know, after God, she was the most important, but absolutely my life didn't accept mm -hmm. that. Um, yeah. You know, I, I stopped going to church cause I was working weekend graveyard. So that was kind of an easy reason not to go to church, you know, once in a while, maybe I'd pray, but it was, you know, half hearted. Yeah. And one thing yeah. that I, I never did, you know, probably from day one, looking back, even when I was walking with God is I never had somebody that I was totally accountable to, totally transparent. Right. I had certain friends right. I'd say some things, right. other friends I'd tell other things, but that was one thing looking back that I never had. I never was able, to, well, not able to, because I had people out there that would have listened to, would have encouraged me in the right way, but I never had somebody that when, when things were going wrong and I was feeling something inside or struggles with my wife or whatever it was that I could reach out to and really be open and transparent because Yep. In that time and just men in general, like we can't do that because that's weakness. You know, if I tell somebody, look, it bothers me. I just saw this four year old boy get destroyed by a car and die in front of me that that bothered me. Mm -hmm. That's weakness, which is crazy. Right. It's crazy even to say yep. that, of course, you know, unless I was insane yep. and a sociopath, of course, it's going to bother you. you know? <laughs> right. <Maybe I> <laughs> right. But yeah, it, it, the stuff bothers you, but we can't show it. Right. That we're not supposed to show. It. We shouldn't say it to anybody that that really, really bothered me. You know, I'm dreaming about it. And I'm thinking about it. And I, you know, I can't look at my own kids without looking at this dead kid I saw in the back of an ambulance. You know, and, and you just keep pushing those things down and eventually, eventually it's going to spill over. Like the, the analogy we use about a rucksack, right? You keep pushing yeah. stuff down and yeah. eventually it's going to spill over. And, and as you mentioned, my childhood trauma, the physical and sexual abuse I dealt with as a kid, along with everything else I saw. And then you add in the military and then you add in the law enforcement. So at a relatively quick amount of time, five years in my law enforcement career, man, I was on top of that roof, <laughs> hence the bulk, yeah. right on the roof, and I thought that I was going to die. You know, it was a lifetime of, of trauma. It wasn't just like the five years of law enforcement. It's like the but the law enforcement definitely accelerated um, all those all those issues. Oh man, there's a lot there that could be unpacked. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the title, and um, everyone needs to read the book. But there was a long series of events that got you onto the top of the roof. Can you just, without giving away everything, talk about why the title and, and what that refers to? Yeah, it was a call. The man on the roof was a call. It was a suspicious person that we chased on top of the roof. And after we had the guy in custody, um, I was on top of this roof, <laughs> standing there full of yep. pride and arrogance and thinking I was something to now I understand it was probably a massive anxiety attack, panic attack, something of that nature where I thought I was going to die. Literally, I had to squat down. I thought I was going to fall off that roof. And that was a critical point in my life because when that happened, I knew something was wrong. I knew something was wrong. Absolutely. You know, it wasn't a physical thing. It was something inside me where I just literally I felt like I was, I was circling the drain and just it was just darkness. And I knew I should have got off. I should have got off that roof and I should have met with a pastor, somebody 
you know, and talk to them. Hey, this is what happened. This is what's going on. This is everything that's going on inside me. But yep. um, I didn't get a, I didn't do that. I got off, pushed the stuff down and I just moved forward. And that was such a critical point because that decision led me into shortly after that getting my third shooting and my life got really, really bad for a number of years. Um, it was some, you know, very, very dark years of not caring about living and dying, being in relationships outside my wife, just not caring about life, like being, you know, thinking about killing myself all the time, but I didn't want to do it that way because I want to be a coward. So I'm going to do it at work. And yeah. I was just working like a madman, um, not being safe. Um, definitely working on the edge to say the least. Um, <laughs> I can't even say some of the things that some of the actions, nothing illegal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're out there. There's nothing yeah. illegal, man, but I was hunting, right. you know, like one of my sergeants used to call me and he's like, John, man, what do you, all, you're like a pit bull. Cause all you do is you, you drive around, you look for people to <laughs> take to jail, you look for hot calls. And I'm just like, Hey, so yeah. you know, I'm just keeping everybody safe. And you know, yeah. me, and that was my drug. Then it was, it was that it was either the violence of work or, or a woman, or, you know, when I wasn't at work, it was keeping myself busy because I've kept my, if I found myself not just sitting there, just thinking that's when, you know, the thoughts got really dark and, um, some bad thoughts were in my mind of like, I just can't live this way. What finally brought you to a place where, um, you started to move into back into a relationship with God and allowing God to work in your life. And, um, you're married, you have kids, you have a great family, you're serving other people. I, I know that's a long process, but what was the event or series of events that got you to that point where you, you started to, to turn things around or, or went like, this is not good enough. I can't do this anymore. I've got to go a different direction. What happened there? And that was a long process. It's a long process and I'll try to summarize it. Um, my last shooting I got involved in after my, um, that, that was in April of 2003. Um, you know, you have to see your psych. And as I saw my psych, he kind of suggested that I take some time off. And I was like, that's cool, man. It's tax-free money. I'll take a little vacation. <laughs> yeah. that was literally my thought. And during that time I, I was kind of thinking, you know, like, you know, about myself a little bit about my life and, and, and just really didn't recognize who I was. Um, because the things I wanted in life, uh, I wanted a family. I wanted to be a man of God. That was clear. 17, I became a Christian. So at 17, I knew who I wanted to be. It's never changed. You know, I wanted to be a man of God and I wanted a happy family. Um, and after that third shooting and taking that time, thinking about that, thinking about my actions and, and who I'd become, um, I didn't want to live that way. So I ended up retiring and man, the next and wanted to live that life. And I started doing it, but the huge mistake I made is there wasn't a heart change. It was all behavior changes. There was no accountability. There was no admission to my wife, what I'd done. Um, there was no asking God for forgiveness. It's like, I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going to live this life. And I did for a number of years. Um, eventually it fell apart and ended up in divorce and other relationships and got married, got divorced. Um, mm. it's always smart to get married again after being <laughs> divorced real quick. That lasted six months. Right. That was real successful. But anyways, sure. It, it, sure. Sure. what I got was, was basically everything, pretty much everything lost in a point where, um, one of my sons wouldn't talk to me. The other one, you know, um, it was, we had, we had talked, but it wasn't a great relationship. Um, find, I was renting a room from a, a friend of mine, a kid I'd coached in high school. So pretty much my life was in shambles, um, barely hanging on to my job that I had. And during that time, uh, man, I, I came to this point initially, this one incident when I was thinking about everything I'd been through, it's like, man, like 
man, I was abused as a kid and I dealt with this and I went to combat and I was a police officer. Nobody knows like, and as I'm doing this, I almost getting mad at people for their opinions of me. The word that hit me was <laughs> a word that we don't want to be called. And that's victim. And I would literally mm. sit in there in that situation was thinking I was acting like a victim. And I think God gave yeah. me that word because when I, when that came to my head and, and that was the truth, how I was acting, I was like, man, I'm not going to yeah. be a victim. So the, yeah. that was the point I was at. And that was the first time. And I was 44 years old at the time that I took accountability and I didn't make excuses. And, and again, I, I said this a lot, like my life was tough. I know that I know physical abuse. You shouldn't happen as a kid, sexual abuse as a kid, you know, men, women, it, it shouldn't happen as a kid. And seeing the other things I saw as a kid, they're tough things for sure. And I understand that military and combat and the amount of death that, that we see in that, the amount of death I saw in Desert Storm, um, the amount of death I saw as a police, like all those things are tough and rough, right? But right. The, the truth right. was that I knew the truth and I knew who I wanted mm. to be and my life didn't reflect that. And I made mistakes and I always had the choice and I made the wrong choice. So it was just taking accountability for my life. And that really was what it was. And then of course I, you know, I got down on my knees and I prayed and I asked God for forgiveness. I, I reached out to my first wife and, you know, we didn't, you know, <laughs> it was still not a good thing, but I, I did that and asked for forgiveness. And, and I'm like, man, I'm going to work on my relationship with my boys. And that took some time. And, and it wasn't easy after that. It wasn't like, Oh, all right, everything's good now, man. It was, it was yeah. a process, not without some more mistakes and some speed bumps, man. But man, I just kept pushing. I just kept my head down and, you know, my eyes up on God and, and kept pushing forward. And John, I'm I, uh, again. I appreciate you, and I'm very thankful for you in my life and the life of my family. Um, your relationship with my son is an important relationship for me because, you know, as you mentioned, it's having the right men speak into your your kids' lives, mm -hmm. and even one of those for my son. And, um, and I'm thankful for that. But I'm really grateful that you tell this story. I know it's not easy, and it's and it's crazy how difficult it can be to tell a story like this because you're kind of peeling back the layers, right? And and pulling back the curtain on what has been hidden and you're, you're kind of sharing things for people to see and uh, your wife, Quinny, you know, allowing that to even part, be part of her story because clearly it is. Mm -hmm. um, but I believe it's going to help so many people. So thank you so much for doing it. Um, give the title one more time and where people uh, will be able to find it um, in the next, uh, next couple days, yeah. hopefully. By the time this airs, it's going to be available. So where can people find it? And, well, the name of the book uh, is Man on the Roof. It's going to be available on Amazon.com, uh, Barnes & Noble, and then I just heard on, on Target as well. We're, we're awesome. should be in the next few days when it, it will be yeah. available. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm excited for that. That's great. The world's, world's um, going to see it. It's out there now. World's gonna see it. It's out there. You can't stop it. Um, by the time this episode of this podcast airs, um, it'll be available, and we'll make sure that links are in uh, the show notes so you can find it as well. So that's awesome. Thank you, uh, John. As always, thank you, man. Appreciate it. Thank you, Jeremy. Many of our veterans feel they need to fight their battles alone. This self isolation has led to the staggering statistic of more than twenty veterans taking their lives every day. The mission of Mighty Oaks is to eradicate the veteran suicide epidemic and help our warriors change their legacies. We've been able to help over 4,000 veterans and first responders by equipping them with the tools they need to live the lives they were created to live. Our faith-based, peer-to-peer approach has one of the highest success rates of any program available today, offering hope and understanding to those who need it most. By aligning their lives to biblical principles, these men and women are able to lead their families, 
their communities, and our nation. It's your generosity that can make a difference in the lives of the men and women who have fought for our country and our freedoms. Now that they're home, don't let them fight alone. Learn more at MightyOaksPrograms.org. Appreciate John, and uh, again, very thankful that he would uh, not only share that story. If you've never shared your story publicly, (laughs) uh, it is very difficult, and John has told that story many, many times, uh, but now putting it down in written form so that others can get a hold of it and it can be used, that story can be used to help them. Uh, So thankful for him, thankful for his willingness to do that, and uh, I hope that you will right now, the link is in the show notes, go and buy a copy of the book, read it for yourself, share it with others, and they will be helped as well. If you have not yet subscribed to the podcast, please take some time to do that. Now you can subscribe and then go over to YouTube. You can find our YouTube channel uh, on YouTube, of course, The Situation Report. You can find us there. Subscribe, hit the notification bell, leave us a comment, share that content out. That would be fantastic. Really appreciate you joining the conversation today and look forward to talking to you next time.